remember when Epiphany started, and of course the women started like outnumbering and outshining the dudes. <laughs> so I was like, "Hey, Lord, I gotta, we gotta start praying that for the men to get it back even at least." Um, and then we started praying. I mean, I still swear one of my key prayers that our church would never be. Uh, so feminized that you say, where are the men? And so every time I look around and see uh, a healthy contingent of men, I praise God for another uh, another round of answered prayer. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we bless your name. Uh, we thank you for the reality of the Lord Jesus. Any moment you could crack the sky and show us we're not tripping. Uh, you really are who you said you are. Uh, you really will come back and do what you said you will do. Uh, doubters, unbelievers, haters will regret every moment that they sleep on Jesus. The moment you crack the sky and floss your glory. Oh, we thank you for the promise that that glory will be our glory, because uh, that is our hope, Christ in us. He's the hope of glory, the hope that we will be glorified even, because, Lord, I'm not the height I prefer. And some of us, are, we're not as swole as we'd like to be. Uh, we got back pains and knees swell up and uh, all these issues, Lord God, glorification will take care of. Um, even our brothers were praying for uh, the Campbells and the like, Lord God. Glorification will wipe every tear uh, from our eyes and will remove uh, anything that resembles depression. And we just long for it. And we just thank you about it. Now, Lord God, bring clarity to the scriptures. Um, may there be a spirit of receptivity, spiritual perception in here uh, so that people can appreciate this is more than just a mental exercise, uh, more than just oration, uh, more than just talk. Uh, but may your people receive this as divine insight for living. And may this truth transform. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We, uh, we began our church. Our church launched publicly with a series through the Gospel of John because we were so serious and are so serious. We don't want anybody uh, to misunderstand the uniqueness and the significance of Jesus Christ. Uh, that book was written that you may believe <laughs> Uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life. Of course, it's written to people who are in the land of the living, yet you can be alive physically, but dead as far as God's concerned. And if you die that way, the Bible says there's another death awaiting. Um, and so we wanted people to understand Jesus. Um, and so we kept going, and now we're in a new series uh, called uh, In Light of the gospel or life in light of the gospel that's because we also don't want anyone to get the gospel wrong uh the gospel is so crucial uh, that if you get that wrong back in the days you couldn't miss the parallel parking or they'd instantly fail you now i don't know if they've eased up on the standard but used to be a time where you know you could hand over 10 and 2 you know buckle up stop at the light address the old lady who's crossing the street wheel in all smooth miss parallel parking and they'll say fail um, that's sort of how it is with the gospel um, you can live your life impeccably, 
Um, you can be nice. You can give. You can buy Christian music. And you can basically help save somebody from being ripped off. And you can uh, be at the hospital and make sure people come back with a couple of clears. And, um, and then miss the gospel. And you failed. And so here we are talking about living life in the gospel now the other thing is we're part of a nice little community we we've sort of learned a lot of bible college students um some of you are familiar with you know lyrical theology so you've heard some of this stuff before so it's possible for you to sort of have the data about the gospel and not live it and so we're talking about life in light of it and it's implied living life in light of the gospel um and so we've been looking at the book of galatians since galatians was written to make sure uh, that people uh, understood the seriousness of starting with the gospel and then veering off from it. Uh, so many people out here, are. some people are not afraid to say me and God are not in a relationship. They don't, they don't mind you knowing that. Like they, something about them has never been trained to front. Um, they just come straight with it. Mm, me and the Lord? Mm, nah, not yet. Some people you'll say, yo, when you, you know, if you die today, are you going to heaven? No, not right now. You know what I'm saying? Where you go when you die? Hell, if I don't pray. I mean, all kinds of stuff. People will let you know. I just know I'm, but, you know, when you get in church, people are not that bold. They would like to make you think that they're saved even if they're not. And so we get real sophisticated. And so uh, we want to make sure that people understand the difference between people who are just morally okay, uh, people who are nice, people who are not mad at God. Like, I ain't mad at them. No, go ahead. God, do your thing. But, 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 we want you to be distinct from people who are not mad at God, but are not in him either. So we want you to confidently say, I know I'm in him. And this is the basis of why I know it, because there are plenty of people like I know I'm in God because he blesses me. Pastor E talked about this often says it. There is a grace that God gives every human being. And if you just say, because he woke me up this morning and the sun is shining, that's common grace. He gives it to the unjust. He gives it to people that he calls his enemies. So you don't want to get tricked because you get blessed. Everybody in Hollywood knows that God's blessing them. Hollywood seems to be the envy of everyone. So even they know everything I have, unless you know you just, I mean, you just way out there, rock and roll style, and you just are like, yo, forget that. I ain't even going to front. I don't even like God. Look at my piercings. Look at all this. I got tattoos of the devil. I got the, uh, the, the, the satanic cross. I mean, some people don't mind. Most people say, yo, God gave me this. And we're like, ah, man, we can't do anything about Hollywood. But, Lord, if you give us a church to shepherd, we're going to make sure our people don't talk like that. We're going to make sure that our people say, well, God has freely given me who doesn't deserve anything, this gift called eternal life and forgiveness of sins. We want you to begin to talk like that. So here we are uh, at this place where uh, we are trying to stress and emphasize what we call the gospel. Paul was reactive. Uh, he starts off in chapter 1, verse 6, and says, Now I'm tripping because you're so easily and so quickly going left and leaving the one who called you by his grace. 
He says, I'm like, it didn't take no time before we started telling you about God freely giving undeserved people a gift. And now you're back to trying to earn what God had to freely give you. He says, I don't even understand how it, it didn't take no time for that. We want to be preemptive before anybody starts leaving the gospel. We want to have this series so that you hold on to the gospel and you don't leave from it. You don't go back. Uh, you may say, well, you're overstating the case. Just real quick, the review. I've used the word gospel several times, but there's some visitors. Just in case you don't know, the gospel is good news. Good news. Now, all kinds of good news is around. You know what I mean? I got a refund check back I've been waiting for since 2005. That was good news to me. I was like, woo, I can't believe it. Yeah. And I mean, good news. Right? But that's not the gospel the way the Bible looks at good news. Even though that's one of the ways you can use the word gospel. It's the fact that holy God would mess with me and I'm so unholy. That's when the Bible says gospel. Now, I'm not talking about y'all and here. I'm just talking about me. Like, it will be good news for me to know that a holy God who really shouldn't mess with me because that's what holiness is. Holiness is I'm so clean. I can't let you mess that up. Right. So the fact that God would mess with me is good news. Right. Paul goes on to say, and furthermore, anathema, a curse be on anybody who tries to mess with this message called the gospel. And then he says, yo, the gospel converts, and we're hoping that you are converted. So today we get to um, chapter 2. Uh, we're going to just look at a few verses, 11 to 14, 11 to 14. Y'all um, talk to me this morning because um, it's just feeling good right now. I'd like to look at contending for the gospel, contending for the gospel. I'm going to read it, then we'll start unpacking it. 2, verse 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed them to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said the Cephas before them all. If you... Though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? I like to talk about contending for the gospel. When I was a kid, Crest ran a series of commercials. And it, it, it brought the reality of cavities to a level of vividness that has stuck with me to this day. They created a group called the Cavity Creeps. Anybody remember the Cavity Creeps? The Cavity Creeps were ugly. They had ropes where they were swinging from tooth to tooth, repelling. They were like, ah, swinging over to the molars, back to the canines. 
They had pickaxes or whatever the coal miners use when they're trying to make sure they don't slip on the rocks. I mean, they had weaponry. Uh, they were out to make sure that your teeth got holes in them. And I can remember Crest saying, oh, we've got to do battle with the cavity creeps. And, of course, Crest washes them away. But I never forget, like, I better brush, like, because the cavity creeps might come and get me. Crest helped open my eyes to a threat that up until that time was impersonal, wasn't offensive. Like, cavities weren't trying to get me. I didn't know how you got them, but Crest almost brought life to the threat so that the threat looked like it was a personal attack on something that I needed, my teeth. It's possible for believers today to underestimate the reality of the attack on this thing we've been called, we've been calling gospel. Like, you, but you may think, yeah, it's possible to mess it up, but you don't see it as somebody strategically well-armed, swinging from place to place, looking for someone to weave their own poison in in order to ruin what's called gospel. Perhaps you'd sleep on that. Well, Paul already in his letter has detected you don't take no time for somebody or something to mess with the gospel. And he's not standing for it. Paul is ready to contend, which just means to fight for the gospel. So uh, that my, my first point is you must contend for the gospel. You must contend for the gospel. Verse 11 says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed them to his face. You just keep living and living in light of the mission of God and you will find yourself in a fight. You will find yourself faced with friction. Now you can duck this responsibility to contend for the gospel and let bygones be bygones, not judge, and all the other diplomatic stuff we like to do today. But as you see here, Paul is minding his business. Peter comes to Antioch. We're going to unpack what the significance of Antioch is. But Peter comes to Antioch and starts cutting up. Paul says, and I had to contend for the gospel. I had to oppose him to his face. You may be non-confrontational here today, but you have a responsibility to contend for the gospel. The word opposed here is the idea of a active initiation to make sure you stand against someone. It's used of Satan. Uh, I believe it's in um, it's in Mark uh, six. Mark no Mark three. Mark three is used of Satan, where Satan says it says Satan can't stand against himself. His kingdom won't won't be able to stand. It's also used of the enemies of Stephen in Acts six, uh, where it says here that that men rose up uh, to uh, to oppose Stephen. So it's this idea. He says we're supposed to rise up and oppose somebody. Look at what it says here, verse 11. But when Cephas came in. Now the but here just messes up how, how smooth the story was going. In chapter 2, Paul has been talking about how his, his ministry is legitimate and he got the thumbs up from the elders in Jerusalem about his ministry. Go get him, uh, uh, Barnabas. Go get him, Paul. Make sure that the Gentiles know that salvation has come to them via Jesus Christ. Go get him, buddy. And he he says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, so you're going to, you like the fight is going to find you. You're going to be chilling with people who may know the truth. And one day you're going to hear something or see something that makes you say, 
I got to I got to contend for this gospel mess around here and says here, but messes up the whole mood. They say won't start nothing, won't be nothing. Well, but when Cephas came, somebody started something This about to be something. Says here, you must contend for the gospel. You must do it because it's just a necessity if you're in this mission. Paul didn't want to fight. He didn't want to beef. And that's how we are. We don't want to, like, like, we know that people think that we're just argumentative and we're judgmental. We wish we didn't have to contend for the gospel. We wish we didn't have to correct theology. We wish we didn't have to do a jam and, like, call somebody out. We wish we didn't have to do this, but it's just a necessity. You also must contend for the gospel without partiality. This is Cephas. For those who don't know, that's just another name for Peter, the lead apostle. Name comes first in every list of the disciples uh, in the Gospels. This is Peter, Cephas, the one who walked on water. And Paul says, and when Cephas, who walked on water, started tripping, I had to contend for the gospel. Without partiality. It ain't, oh, some little man came to Antioch and started stirring up trouble. I said, oh, I could take him. Let me start contending for the gospel. No, when Cephas came, the one through whom the Gentiles even got the, the falling of the spirit came through his gospel presentation to the Gentiles. We must contend for the gospel without partiality. We live in a day where leaders are getting away with murder. If Bishop does it, we can't say anything. But if my neighbor does it, oh, I will read, write, and erase them. <laughs> Says, without partiality, we must contend for the gospel. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him. I like the way Paul says it uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, when he knew that the Corinthian church were prone to big up leaders too high. He said, hey, this is how you ought to look at us. Spawn service of Jesus Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. We don't own a thing. We're just holding somebody else's property. We've just been entrusted with some truth. That's all. We can't take credit for it. Big Shy, a couple weeks ago, I mean, a couple maybe a month or so ago, when he was talking about pride, he said, one of the things I can't do is brag when people see me in my new Prius. I'm in my Prius, my Toyota Prius, which gets excellent gas mileage, got a little fancy key. You only have to stick it in. It's just got to be in your pocket, something like that. And he was like, but I can't brag. Guess what? On the door, stamp, Philly car share, somebody else's. So I want to, I want to, I want to, you know, floss, but right on the door, it lets you know it ain't mine. Paul says, see, uh, you, you, you know from the gate, the church is not ours. These truths are not ours. So here's how you ought to think of us. Not much at all. Yeah, I mean, give us props. Through us, God has done some things, but we're not the owners. And so here he says, like, Paul basically walks in that reality. Hey, Cephas is uh, confrontable. You have to contend for the gospel. You do it because it's a necessity. You do it be without partiality. You also do it based on biblical authority. Look what it says here. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. 
Like, you don't just do it because I didn't like the way he was coming out of his mouth. I mean, he was right, but you should have seen the way he said it. No, no, no. You don't just put somebody on blast and say, well, I just didn't like what you were saying. I mean, you're right, but no, no, no. We ain't talking about just starting fights. We're talking about contending based on biblical authority. Uses the word kataganosko. Means to be condemned before God. He's not saying, I just didn't like it. He's saying, God has already said this is wrong. People don't want you to judge, but for anybody out there that's always saying, well, the God says don't judge. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, let your judgment just be an echo of his judgment. If he says that's wrong and you say, I'm just letting you know that's wrong. Like, how do you know? Like, because you don't like, no, nah, not because I don't like it. Um, God has already said that that's wrong. Says, yo. He was already condemned. I heard a preacher one time. He said, I know God's getting tired of you because I'm tired of you. And everybody was like, ah. and in my mind, I was thinking, like, that's backwards. Like, you don't know God's getting tired of somebody because you tired of him. Like, it should be the reverse. If anything, God's tired of you. So I'm tired of you. You know what I'm saying? But that won't preach as well. So we judge based on biblical authority. And so we contend for the gospel. And so what I like about this is Paul is already writing a letter to contend for the gospel. He's already started with, now hold on, I got it a right to contend because I'm an authority on the subject of the gospel. Says I got it from God, I didn't make it up, I got the apostleship, that means I got to lay the foundational bricks of this thing. Since then, it's already been acknowledged by others that, yeah, Peter has got this grace on him, this success on him, this backing from heaven to go and to help people understand God's free gift. Now he says, and I mess around here, and when I'm just chilling, and I see anybody do anything or say anything that flies in the face of what the gospel is, I contend for it. And so what you can't do today is sit back and say, that's chill for you, you know, you, you ruffians. That's chill for, you know, you talkative folk. That's chill. Like the Bible is here for us and the question on the floor is, is this what God's people are to do or is this just for some people who like a fight? Paul says, come on, man. This was my boy, Pete. Gave me the right hand of fellowship. I contended for the gospel. Classic reasons why we contend for the gospel. Let's look at 12 to 14. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Stop right there. First of all, let's just zero in on the, the classic reasons why we have to contend for the gospel. And it's at least three classic reasons. There's so many, but three in this text I want to draw attention to, and they're classic. First of all, because of the threat of contradiction. Because of the threat of contradiction. It starts off by saying, ha, huh, Peter came to Antioch, and he used to do this, but when men came, he used to do, he started doing that. Contradiction. You need to know something about Antioch. 
Antioch basically is the Gentile capital of Christianity. If Jerusalem was the Jewish capital of Christianity, well, it started in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. Antioch is now part of that uttermost parts. So what you're looking at is a great city. During the first century, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. First was Rome, then was Alexandria, then it was Antioch. So first of all, Peter is in a major booming metropolis. He's sitting there and for some reason he comes and he's spending time there. Under Roman rule, it came to reflect the epitome of Rome's grandeur. So whatever's about to happen, that's going to be key because whatever happens there is going to be important because it sets the tone for other places and surrounding regions. Some places are like that. Some places nobody is imitating. What y'all doing over there? Oh, no. They're like, oh, you know, nah, this is New York. They doing this in New York. And then everybody want to do it in New York. Oh, man, this is ATL, ATL. You know what I'm saying? Oh, they want to do it there. Like some places have that effect. Antioch would be one of those places. Like, oh, they doing that in Antioch? Mm, okay. Antioch, first place they call Christians Christians. There were so many Jewish believers, so many uh, uh, Gentile believers, that, and it was so much religion and so much philosophy and so much going on, they had to distinguish people. So they were like, man, what are we going to Ah, I tell you what, y'all Christ followers, y'all Christians. This is where it first came. So we trace our roots back to Antioch, where they actually was trying to clown them a little bit. Prided itself on toleration. Antioch. We're not talking about the church in West Philly. We're talking about Antioch. Antioch. The Gentiles first got turned on to uh, monotheism and banging Judeo ethics in Antioch because the Jews found security there. Uh, during the, the, the Greece period, the period where Greece was on top. So the Jews got favor there. When Rome took over, Jews still had favor there. And so a lot of Jews went there and they took Jewish customs there. The synagogue was booming there. Gentiles and Jews used to be a part of the synagogues there. And so the, the, one of the things you've got to understand is that this situation that we're dealing with happened in a very strategic location, which is another reason why you've got to contend for the gospel. See, some of you are so key. What you do is key. Where you go is so key. Rappers, we have a responsibility to contend. A lot of people think, you know, you see on the message boards, it looks like people are just arguing for argument's sake. And there is a way you can argue just for argument's sake. And so there is a way to contend, and we'll get to that. But the idea is you're going to have to contend. And you're going to have to do it because it's just a necessity. You're going to have to do it without partiality. I don't care who it is. And you're going to have to do it with biblical authority. You can't just make it up on your own. And one of the reasons is because contradiction is right around the corner. Peter is just thumbs up this mission to the Gentiles. Now all of a sudden, he comes to Antioch. He's been eating with Gentiles. It doesn't just say that he was eating among them like he brought his kosher food along with this. Because later on, Paul's going to say, how can you living like a Gentile make Gentiles live like a Jew? So he actually had been partaking in what the Gentiles were eating, which is a whole different story. But for you to understand this, uh, I want you all to flip real quick to Acts 10 if you have a Bible. If not, it will be on your, your screen. I'm going to read a chunk of scripture since our primary text is so small I can do this. But I want you to understand because you may think, yo, you're trying, to, um, you're trying to get too much out of this point. But the idea of the hypocrisy and the idea of the impact of the gospel is, is key if you understand what it meant for Jews and Gentiles to begin to be able to eat together. So any withdrawing from that is problematic. Let's look at 10. 
says here, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. First of all, he's a Gentile, Italian cohort. That's not Jew. It says here, uh, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour uh, of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. That's another one of his names. So this dude has already seemed like he's on the right track with God, but God says that's not enough. In this new era, it's got to be Jesus. So I better get you to somebody who can take you from just having a great kind of idea about God to somebody who's going to give you the details about what it takes to actually be saved, which a.k.a. will be the gospel. So uh, look, it says here, verse 6, he said, he is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. Now already God has been providentially working because a tanner works with, hides the jews could not be around dead anything so they couldn't be at a tanner's house but god had already been working on peter so somehow god providentially has begun to sort of help him work through his separation between the clean and unclean separation between jew and gentiles please stay with me uh so look he says here he's 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 at a tanner's house uh, go ahead and we're going to use you to take them over the edge. Uh, so look, it says here, verse seven, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called his two servants, a devout soldier uh, from among uh, those who attended him and having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. All right, fellas, go to Joppa. I'm supposed to talk to this dude named Peter because my you know, God wants to tweak, upgrade and uh, perfect what I'm thinking about God. Verse nine, uh, the next day. As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while he was preparing it, excuse me, while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And they came a voice to him, Peter. Rise, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Follow me. So Peter, the I mean, we're talking about one of the heavyweight apostles who's Jew to the bone. Jews know you don't mess with Gentiles. We're going to see that later. Jews know you don't mess with dead hides, but he's already there. So he's slowly starting to you know, progress in his understanding. Now God is saying eat stuff that before you couldn't eat. So on this, this big sheet, God drops it and says, hey, guess what? You can eat pork now. Hey, I know you're a Jew, but die. Like, like you can, and you can eat it with a Gentile because there's stuff that used to be unclean that's now I'm saying is clean because I'm going to make it clean. I'm going to make it acceptable. In fact, it's my plan. So look, Peter says no. Now, whenever God is trying to bring truth in our way, it's not like we, if God would say it, we just jump to it. He said, no, Lord. Like, how do you tell God no, right? No, Lord, because I've never violated your rules. Now, you just did. I just told you to rise and eat, and now you're telling me no. I'm not going to do what you say. 
Like, because, but now Peter's trying to maintain, I'm holy. I'm set apart from that. I don't do that. God has to say, yo, don't keep on the outskirts what now I'm bringing together. Don't call unclean or common what I've cleaned. All right, verse 17, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, so good theology takes some time. You got to work with it. It gets inside and you work it around and you digesting it. And that's the kind of stuff we're doing. Like we're trying to give you stuff that you got to mull over, that you got to sort of go home and wrestle with. And so uh, he goes and he says, while he was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, verse 17, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. So right does he come out of his trance? Oh, my goodness. I wonder what that means. Ding, ding. Oh, man, who's at the door? Right? <laughs> and so it's the men from Cornelius's house. Look at God's timing. Ah, oh, come on, y'all. Like, amen me sometimes. Like, not me, but y'all, like, like, if you get excited. Only if you get excited. So look at God's timing, right? <laughs> amen, lights. And so... Uh, <laughs> And so look, it says here, and Peter went down to the men, I am the one you are looking for. Uh, hold on, and while Peter was pondering the vision, this, oh, okay, excuse me, I'm sorry, verse 19, I'm sorry, uh, verse 19, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish thing. Even the Jews know this Gentile is on point. Was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to this house and to hear what you have to say. We don't know. We just told, come get you. You got something that we have to hear. Gospel. See, y'all need this gospel. The next day. Okay. Keep going. We almost finished. The next day he arose, went away with them. Some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day he entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So he didn't got a whole crowd like, whatever he got to tell me, y'all better come over here. So the whole family's out. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped them. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. Something Jesus never did when people did that to him. It's one of, our, one of our proofs for Jesus' deity and him seeing himself as deity because any good man knows as soon as somebody falls down to worship you, you pick him up and say, I'm just a man too, easy. Uh, but Jesus never did that. He accepted it. Uh, that's sidebar. 27. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathering. And he said to them, now this is the part I want you to key in on. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. The word Gentiles, ethnos, right, is the same word as nations. So it depends on the context whether or not you translate it Gentiles or nations. He said, now y'all even know Jews are not supposed to be getting it in with y'all like that. Right? You know how unlawful it is. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common. Or unclean. We can't, we can't look at Gentiles like we used to look. God showed me that. He says, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. Like you would have caught me a little while ago. They would have said, yo, some Gentiles need you to come and break something down. I would have been like, I can't do that. I'll send them a letter. (laughs) 
So look, verse 30, Cornelius says four days ago, Cornelius basically gives him his whole spill. Skip over to 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's good news. See, that's that gospel. See, like if you're a Jew, you don't get as excited because you're so used to God messing with you. If you're a Gentile, you're like, what? Like anybody that we can get what y'all got without having to become like y'all? Because, I mean, goodness, I was ready. You know, there's just some trouble coming, becoming like y'all. <laughs> Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, he gave him a whole banging gospel presentation, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through it. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised Jews who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So the proof that the Gentiles were not second-class citizens was that the Spirit came and they began to do the same thing all the, the Jews did at Pentecost. The, like When Pentecost came, the, the, the proof that Jesus invaded you and put you in the new thing he's doing was that you were a part of that group that was speaking in tongues and everybody was just going, going wild. Well, the Gentiles now get the same thing because they didn't. They were like, I mean, they say, but they ain't really got the power. They say, but they need the Holy Ghost. You know, like they say to people today, they say, oh, you say, but have you been filled with the Holy Ghost? Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Like you say, but you ain't quite there yet. Well, same thing happened here. They believed the spirit comes as they believe. Oh, well, these cats are on par with us. Uh, anybody still with me? All right. Now, so we flip back. Galatians. This is why we say you contend for the gospel because one of the classic reasons is contradiction. The man who went through all of that in Acts 10, been walking in it. He's been enjoying it. He came to Antioch where Gentiles are all over the place and Jews and Gentiles get it in. They're the church now. They're Christians. It's not, hey, Jew, Gentile. It's, hey, Christian. Jew and Gentile being called Christian because they're one. They're walking out that gospel. They're living in light of that gospel. Gentiles are probably now cooking up pork sandwiches. Peter's like, ooh, what's that smell? I ain't never smelled nothing like that. Ain't nothing but this pork. You know what I'm saying? That's fried ham. You want some? I don't know, it's kind of greasy. I'm telling you, but I shouldn't call them clean. We're going to call clean. Let me get some of that. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's over there again. Because, look, eating with the Gentiles is in the imperfect tense, which means it's a repeated action. So Pete was always over there now, eating with the Gentiles. What y'all got this week? Spare ribs, spare ribs. That's the rib of the pig. Rib of the pig, I don't know. All oh, these joints are hot. Woo! I mean, Pete is now liking this freedom that the gospel brings. We got we having a crawfish and peel shrimp session tonight. You want some Pete shrimp? We ain't never been able to eat shrimp. How they taste? Put this old bay on it. Oh, oh! I mean, this is Pete. See, y'all got y'all to gotta get the picture. See, some of y'all was zooming out. Y'all was tuning me out because I'm like, oh, man, what is it? I'm telling y'all, the contradiction is clear. 
So he's living in light of the gospel, Acts 10. He's living in light of the gospel in the imperative tense as he repeatedly is showing up at Gentiles' cribs. And again, eating with them already was bad enough. That's why Jesus said, how come you, they, they kept harassing Jesus. How does this man eat with tax gatherers and sinners just to eat with them, even though Jesus was, was keeping the, the Jewish dietary law? So just him being in the same room, eating good, like legal food among them was bad for him. Now, Pete is going a step further because he's living like them. This is the gospel that caused them to have to have to get it in. So we don't see the problem. It says, but when men came from James, all of a sudden, he started drawing back and separated himself. That's in the double imperfect, meaning gradually and slowly but surely, Pete started pulling out of the sessions. Pete, I made you. Where Pete? He ain't come today. He said he, he, he under the weather. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get him next time. Pete, we made it just the way you liked it. We experimented. Where Pete at? I don't know. He over there with them. They all Jews? Yeah. How come he ain't over here with us? You tripping. Pete like, oh, no, man, y'all know I'm trying to cut back. I'm trying to cut back. <laughs> next time, it's like, Pete, you, how about now? I put cheese on it. Y'all know I don't do that. <laughs> Probably at the end it was like, now y'all know, y'all fellas know y'all shouldn't be eating that meat like that. Y'all know how God feel. You tripping, right? Nah. Men from James around. Nah, y'all, come on, man. I, you know, I told y'all about that. The only reason why he did this is because he feared men from the circumcision. So many questions here that we don't know. If you're scholarly, like you get paid to just speculate and come up with a lot of reasons. First of all, why is Pete in Antioch? Was it because like Gentiles know how to cook? Um, you know what I mean? Um, why is he there? Is he there because they were being persecuted in Jerusalem? So he was like getting a reprieve. Was he just on missions? Uh, we know that this was primarily Paul's territory. Um, and so the question, we don't know why, but we know that for some reason, on a regular basis, he was in Antioch. We don't know who the men from James were, like certain men from James. Anytime the Bible says a certain man, it's intentionally being ambiguous because it, who it is doesn't matter. It's just a certain person. A certain men from James came. Now, from James does mean they probably were an official delegation from the Jerusalem church of which James was the leader. And so they're coming in and they're like coming around. And they must be talking to Peter about something. And it says he feared the circumcision party. Now, the circumcised we saw in Acts 10 could just be believing Gentiles. Believing Gentiles who were in the midst who weren't like as free as Pete was in their way to live it out. So one of two things, somewhere along the line, believe, Jews who were believers were getting frustrated how far Pete was taking this gospel thing, this freedom thing, this you can eat, don't call anything unclean. Like, come on, still, Pete, you're making us look bad. And he feared. Or... There's word that there was a persecution. There was some zealots, some unbelieving Jews who were persecuting believing Jews just for their Gentile sympathies. And so Pete either was afraid that, yo, 
You're causing trouble for all of us. Yo, when you get back, they're going to be on you too. Whatever it was, he feared, but it moved him to contradict the very gospel that he had adamantly proclaimed. We must contend for the gospel because of the threat of contradictions. The threat of contradictions. We're like that, too. It messes with our popularity. We start shaving off the gospel. Messes with our career. We bottle up the gospel. Keeps you out of an in crowd, and so you loosen the gospel. You stop speaking the gospel. But not only because of contradiction, but also because of the threat of contamination. Verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. They say a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. Just a mist up here, but out there it's like... They say heresy always starts in the pulpit. It's never a dude in the pulpit. Yo, man, I think... And people listen like, be quiet, ain't what pastor said. But when pastors say, it's like, yo, I think... Contamination... We contend for the gospel because it doesn't just stay with one person. It's cancerous. It begins to mess with us all. It begins to move in. Before you know it, everybody is twisted on the gospel. Why do you think that the music industry, gospel music, it started with one or two people who were successful in shrouding, changing, twisting, or watering down the gospel. Now, it's you're hard-pressed to find the gospel in gospel music. It says here, the, the contamination was Pete started doing it, and then other Jews, believers, started doing it. All of a sudden now, the Gentiles find themselves all Gentile again. Where y'all at? Like, I don't understand. Like, we were just chilling before men from James came. The gospel was killing it. You all were walking in freedom. You were accepting me. You don't understand how long I wanted to be accepted by you Jews. I like your ethics. Your monotheism. The philosophers I grew up on were tripping. Something about what you were telling me about Yahweh was so nice. And in fact, you let me come in your sphere when for so long they told me I was unclean. I used to look over there at the synagogues and couldn't be invited in, but you all let me into your circles. I used to just sit and listen to you drop nuggets of truth, and I started liking those nuggets. And I, I was dropping it with my friends, but you were, like, I don't understand. What happened when men from James came? The threat of contamination. He says, even Barnabas. Now, if you don't know Barnabas, you got to understand, we're talking about Barney here. I mean, Barney is the way Paul. People, hey, Barney's the type, he's so encouraging that when Saul, who used to persecute the church, came to faith, he was the one that said, hey, 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 chill, chill. Put your guns away. <laughs> Last night I was looking at Green Mile. Old John Coffey was coming up, dude had the gun, like, hey, are you John Coffey? And then uh, Tom Hanks was like, yo, 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 put the guns away. He's cool now. That's Barney. 
Barnabas was the way Paul got into the mission. Barnabas was the one that involved Paul in the Antiochian mission. Now Barnabas, the one that got me, Paul in Antioch is tripping. Barnabas, the one that sold all his property, laid it at the feet so that everybody could eat. Barnabas. He says, we contend for the gospel because Cephas might go. When Cephas go, his followers go. You might mess around and even catch Barnabas going. That's why we contend for the gospel. Listen, y'all. The question on the floor is, do you want to see, like, does the gospel mean anything to you? Like, that's really what this boils down to. Does it mean much to you? Paul says, I'm not going, nope, I'm not going to let you circumcise Titus because you're trying to make him conform to Jewish custom. He's a Greek. Nope. He says, so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved. Look what verse 14 says. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all. So he... He basically was able to detect that this wasn't in line. Can you even detect when it's not the gospel? Like maybe maybe that's where we need to start. Can you even detect? You know when they want to when they want to cheat people to detect a counterfeit, they major on what the real thing looks like. They don't teach them counterfeit; they teach them the real thing. We want to continue to hammer away on the real gospel so that it's clear. That ain't the real gospel. How you know? Because you studied that cult? Nah, but I, I know what the gospel is. Distortion. They say if you're postmodern, you don't even care about a contradiction. Because there's no objective truth. And eh, what's, what's the big deal? We hate judging more than we hate heretical teaching. He's a heretic. Ah, oh, don't be judging him. Like, you put me, I'm on the ropes now. Like, I'm sitting here talking, hey, that's the kind of stuff we need to be contending for the faithful. And you got me on the ropes because I said that. Jude says, Jude says, I was going to write to you about salvation. I know how y'all like salvation. He says, but all of a sudden, man, I started noticing that somebody's creeping in. And it's starting to mess with our, our faith. Look what he says here. Do we have that? Yeah. Look at Jude real quick. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I find it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith. There's that word again. That was once for all delivered to the saints, for certain people have crept in. There it is. It'll find you. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our master, only master of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we put too many rules on people, so we have to contend for the gospel because people will burden people with too many rules. Jude says that you also have to contend for the gospel because contamination can come in the form of giving people too much license. So one is legalism, too many rules. One is licentiousness, not enough restraint. Real quick, the threat of contradiction, the threat of contamination, and in this last verse, the threat of condescension. He says to Pete, verse 14, I said to Cephas, 
If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Condescension. Pete basically was looking down on the Gentiles saying, you need to come up to where we are. That's against the gospel. In the gospel, nobody is up here while everybody else is down here except Jesus. And he's the one who said, and you're so far down there, you can't come up to where I am, so I got to come down. When you got the gospel right, you know everybody is down here. Without the gospel right, without you contending for it, condescension comes in and somebody starts looking at somebody else and telling them they need to be like them. Whether it's whites making blacks feel like they need to be like them or blacks, you know, the Hebrew Israelites, they pride themselves in being the, uh, we're the real people of God. We're all black and anybody white has to be like us. It don't matter who's, who's in power. When you don't have a right gospel, somebody is not on your level and they got to step up. You need to take that off and you need to do this. And in this house, one time this preacher told me, he said, I, I, we were just talking about the freedom that they could give us. Like, I'm like, yo, I'll do what you say. I mean, I'll come to your church. Yo, man, if I'm a distraction like I am, I'll just I'll throw a suit on. I mean, you know, things. Well, you know, you just got to respect house rules. But I said, well, whose house is it, though? Like, that's my, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out, are these God's rules or yours? Because, like, if you just help me to, look, God doesn't mind, but in here we're trying to keep an image. At least you're being honest. This one lady, I told you I had a little debate. I'm coming to a close. Had a little debate, you know, about whether or not God likes hip-hop. And, of course, no, he doesn't. It's of the devil. <laughs> said even the Christian version, even the Christian version. There's no such thing as the Christian version. You can't have a redeemed Christian hip-hopper. Uh, and so uh, she said, because I don't want my son looking like you. I said, word. That's, I, I said, I want him looking like my husband. I said, no, that's what's up. I said, I would, if my wife, I want her to say that, too. I said, so I respect that, but I just wonder if you think God feels like you. Like, does God look and say, I don't want you looking like him. I want you looking like her husband. I said, man, as long as you make a distinction, it's all good. In closing, look, chapter one, Paul is kissed. He get ready to say, oh, foolish Galatians who bewitched you. Like he get ready to amp it up. But all we're saying today is as we go through living life in light of the gospel through Galatians, you will see us harp on gospel. You will see us talk about how freeing it is. And the moment you you start choking freedom out for laws, the moment you start losing freedom out for works, you're going to see that we need to start contending with you. But you must take this responsibility to contend for the gospel, opposed to the face, individuals who don't live consistently with it. You got to know the gospel in order to detect contradiction. You got to care about a contradiction. You got to know it because if you let it slide, there's going to be contamination. You got to know it because next step will be condescension. Somebody's going to be looking down at somebody in pride. You know this message. This Jesus who messes with people who you would think he shouldn't mess with. I'm going to close with a tribute to one of a rapper I like. Me. <laughs> Go ahead, Fish. <laughs> this one going to hit him right here. <laughs> So many people